The presenting sponsor of Top Docs is Netflix. Recently, we've had a chance to speak with the directors of several of Netflix's Emmy-nominated documentaries. We talked to Andrew Rossi about the Andy Warhol Diaries, Cootie Simmons and Chike Oza told us about the making of Genius, a Kanye trilogy, and most recently, Felicity Morris gave us the backstory to the Tinder swindler. Check out these conversations in our feed and watch these documentaries, now available on Netflix. Hi, I'm Ken Jacobson. I'm Mike Merrill, and this is Top Docs. Today, we're talking to Scott Feinberg, the Hollywood Reporter's award-winning awards columnist and host of its Awards Chatter podcast. Scott, who's been with THR since 2011, has just been named their executive editor of awards. Scott covers all major awards, including anchoring coverage of the Oscars, Emmys, Tonys, Grammys, relevant film festivals, and all the award shows. He's been recognized with six National Arts and Entertainment Journalism Awards and five SoCal Journalism Awards from the Los Angeles Press Club. His podcast, Awards Chatter, was nominated for the Best Podcast Shorty Award in 2019. Scott is a voting member of the British Academy of Film and Television Arts and, since last year, has been a trustee professor at Chapman University's Dodge College of Film and Media Arts. We started the podcast a year ago with various Emmy nominees, but this year we managed to do all of the major documentary Emmy nominees, and it was great to have Scott on to handicap the race and talk about his predictions for the winners. It was very interesting to hear how Scott thinks about how the voters will think about these entrants and therefore how he arrives at his rating. But he draws a lot upon historical precedent, how things have gone in the past as well. If you enjoy this conversation, please do follow us wherever you get your podcasts. And also follow us on Twitter at Top Docs Pod. And now our conversation with Scott Feinberg of The Hollywood Reporter about the upcoming Emmys. Scott Feinberg, welcome to Top Docs. Thank you so much for having me. You bet. Great to talk to you about the Emmy nominations. Yeah, it's that time of year, huh? We are really coming up on it. Unfortunately, this is the first time in over a decade I'm not going to be able to be in town for the festivities because they've chosen to go earlier, which means they're in direct conflict with the Toronto International Film Festival. So truly Oscar and Emmy season overlapping this year. I had no idea and sorry you won't be there. You'll have to catch it with the rest of us on <laughs> TV or streaming. Right. Or more accurately, I'll read about it when you write about it. Oh, thanks. Before we get into the categories, it would be great if you could answer a couple of basic Emmy questions for some of us Emmy novices. First of all, how do programs get nominated? They call it peer groups with the TV Academy, whereas with the Film Academy, we call it branches. But essentially, it's just the different segments of the industry that are expert in particular areas all weigh in within the area or areas that pertain to their peer group, as well as everyone gets to weigh in on the program categories. The difference is that there are way more members of the TV Academy than Film Academy, maybe because there's way more content being made in TV than film. But nevertheless, it's the within your area of expertise is where they come from. And then actually also in terms of picking the winners, 
there's just so many categories that they guide you to vote for within the area of your expertise as well. So the difference with that in the Oscars is that the Oscars, only the kind of experts in a specific area are allowed to nominate. But then for some reason, I guess just it became tradition, everybody votes for everything on the final round, which doesn't make that much sense when only whatever it may be, 4% of the whole academy are actually visual effects people, for instance. But 96% of the people who vote for that award are not. And so their expert opinions are completely drowned out. So anyway, it's a long way of just saying it's slightly different between the Emmys and the Oscars, but it is sort of a more expert pick, supposedly, with the Emmys. Interesting. I did not realize that difference. And can you tell us how the rules changed this year? I know there was at least one big change this year about the so-called double dipping. Can you tell us about that? There's been concern in recent years that if a documentary is eligible for an Oscar, why is it then subsequently eligible for an Emmy? And there were certain oddities to even the Emmy rules where it's like, if you're nominated for an Oscar, you can't be eligible for an Emmy. But if you're not nominated for an Oscar and you were eligible to be nominated, you can still be. So it's like, why would the Emmys want the scraps that the Oscars didn't even want? So it's it's become obviously a tricky thing because the line between the big screen and the small screen is narrowing by the day. I mean, our TVs are bigger. Movie theaters, particularly with documentaries, are less hospitable. And so it's just been trying to clarify that, look, if you've got to pick a lane, one or the other, you can't be competing for both. And so that is part of why this year you're not seeing what we've seen in many other years, which is a movie that, you know, was already an Oscar winner showing up at the Emmys and winning there too. It's like, are you a film or a TV program? And this is the first year, if you are in contention for an Oscar, no Emmys for you. Right. And I guess theoretically vice versa, but basically the Oscar was always treated as the most desirable thing you could go after. So you weren't seeing too often, you know, basically you would have exhausted your eligibility for the Oscar if you previously were on TV before having your Oscar qualifying run. Now, there's been very tricky cases in recent years, like OJ Made in America, which basically premiered at Sundance and argued it was a long film in order to get the Oscar, but then still competed at the Emmy. So, you know, this is just going to kind of all force people to decide if you want to see yourself as a film or as a TV program. And do you think that this rule changed the nature of the programs that ended up being nominated? Absolutely. I mean, just for one example, the documentary or nonfiction special category has historically been very filled with things that had been theatrical movies. So just to give you an example of what I'm talking about, last year in the documentary or nonfiction special Emmy category. The winner was a movie that was very much in the Oscar race called Boys State. And the majority of the nominees in that category had also been Oscar eligible. The Social Dilemma, Tina. You had some that were TV specific, framing Britney Spears from the New York Times Presents. I don't believe that qualified for the Oscar. But if you go back over the years, I mean, the year before last, the Apollo won the category. That was another Oscar eligible one. The year before that, Leaving Neverland had not been Oscar eligible, but that one. And it's just been back and forth. 13th was an Oscar nominated documentary feature that then won at the Emmys. Same thing with what happened Miss Simone the year before that. So really, it was sort of devaluing, I think, the Emmy by just, you know, an Oscar movie can just come in and run over stuff that was actually made for television. 
it's good to know there's now a clear distinction between the Emmys and the Oscars. And even though we're here talking about the Emmys today, we'd love to hear any early Oscar buzz regarding documentaries. Sure. I think thus far, the only theatrically released documentary feature that has real Oscar buzz, I think, is Fire of Love, which is, I believe, Nat Geo with Sarah Dosa, this young filmmaker who is using archival materials to tell the story of a couple of volcanologists who had interesting lives together. Mike spoke with Sarah Dosa back in July, and that does seem like a film that has a real potential to make the short list and perhaps go further. We're about to get hit at Telluride, Toronto, New York, with the whole wave of stuff that will join the Sundance screened docs that will then be theatrically released as fall movies. And I've had a little look at some of those. I'm not able to talk about all of them, but I think we're in for a, a very strong year for documentaries. There's a lot of exciting docs from well-known filmmakers that are expected before the end of the year. You've got from Laura Poitras, who won the Oscar for Citizen Four. She's back with All the Beauty and the Bloodshed, which will be a neon movie. Matthew Heineman, a past nominee, also has a movie, Retrograde, which will be Nat Geo. Brett Morgan, people have started to see, started back to Cannes, Moon Age, Daydream for Neon as well. And, you know, Rory Kennedy has one that's still yet to be titled. Steve James, of course, Hoop Dreams, A Compassionate Spy is his new one. And on and on and on, Evgeny Afanisky, who had done Winter on Fire about Ukraine, now has Freedom of Fire about Ukraine, a very recently shot film there. Just lots to be excited about in the coming weeks and months. Many of these are going to be unveiled in Venice, Telluride, and Toronto. Fantastic. And I'm sure Mike and I will be interviewing many of those folks right here on Top Talks. We're going to talk about three categories, exceptional merit, outstanding documentary, nonfiction special, and outstanding documentary or nonfiction series. I think special versus series is pretty clear. Can you explain the exceptional merit category? What types of documentaries are typically found there? So the exceptional merit category at the Emmys is, first of all, the difference between that and the other two that you mentioned. This is a juried award, meaning there's a group of people who sit down and consider a wide variety of specific criteria, essentially, I believe, social impact, quality, that kind of stuff, rather than just everyone voting on what their favorite was. And so it is often a social issue movie. I believe it takes them out of the running in other categories. If you enter for the Exceptional Merit Emmy, it tends to be very kind of high-minded stuff. You're not getting too many comedic docs and stuff in this category. And I'll give you an example of past years where, again, the jury, what they've gravitated towards, there was 76 Days last year, which was a documentary about the early days of the COVID outbreak the year before that. You had The Cave, which was about a hospital in Syria. The year before that, it was a tie, and you had RBG was one of them. So again, these are all movies that are really about something serious. So the nominations in Exceptional Merit in Documentary Filmmaking are Changing the Game, which follows three trans high school athletes as they navigate the challenges of sport and life. We had a truly fun and enlightening conversation with director Michael Barnett and producers Claire Tucker and Alex Schmitter. Next is Frederick Douglass in Five Speeches. In this, contemporary actors perform the writings of the 19th century advocate and literary giant. I used to teach many of these, and I still learned a lot when I spoke with director Julie Marchese and producer Sean Babalola. And finally, When Claude Got Shot, 
This follows the tragic aftermath of a shooting in Milwaukee and the path towards forgiveness, as well as examines the flawed criminal justice system. Ken spoke with director-producer Brad Lichtenstein. Scott, from the bottom to the top, how would you rank these in terms of their likelihood to receive the Emmy? So for the exceptional merit, I think that's one category that we have to acknowledge. It's truly just spitballing because, again, it's a jury. It's a small jury compared to a number of people picking other categories. You don't know what's being discussed or prioritized by those people. But my hunch is that many of these winners in years past were timely and dealing with things that are overtly about the present moment. And as great as Frederick Douglass in Five Speeches is, and you can argue it's quite relevant to the present moment, I think it's the least overtly about the present moment. So I would be surprised if that one ends up winning, even though HBO has won this category twice as many times as anyone else in the past. So that would be betting against that happening here. After that, we're talking about gun violence, which is obviously couldn't be more a timely subject and trans rights, trans athletes. So, you know, certainly a hot button topic heading into the 2022 elections. I think it's a toss up, but I would guess that changing the game has had a bit of a higher profile than these others. It just feels like both timely and moving and there's just a lot of buzz around it. I think it could have skipped eligibility for the Exceptional Merit Award and probably held its own in competitive categories. I'm not sure how much that would be the case with the other two. So my hunch is changing the game will end up winning. In terms of timeliness, it was interesting because when we talked to the director and producers for changing the game, we did talk about the timeliness of trans athletes as an issue and how it was timely when they made the film. And it's even more timely now. So next up is the category of Outstanding Documentary or Nonfiction Special. The nominees are Controlling Britney Spears. This is the follow-up to Framing Britney Spears, which was also Emmy-nominated, and goes deeper into the control and manipulation that lay behind Britney's controversial conservatorship. We had a revealing conversation with director Samantha Stark and producer Liz Day, who broke the story. George Carlin's American Dream, directed by Judd Apatow and Michael Bonfiglio. Follows Carlin from his early days as a square comic, his transition to the countercultural Carlin we knew in the late 60s and 70s, and makes a case for the importance of the darker Carlin of the 80s and 90s. Mike spoke with co-director Michael Bonfiglio. Lucy and Desi, directed by Amy Poehler, tracks the personal and professional relationship of television's most famous married couple. We recently spoke with editor Robert A. Martinez about working with the multi-hyphenate director on her first documentary, The Tinder Swindler. This is the hugely popular Netflix documentary about the imposter Simon Leviev and the women he met and swindled through the popular dating app. We got the backstory when we spoke with director Felicity Morris from London. And We Feed People, directed by Ron Howard. The film profiles the celebrated chef Jose Andres and tracks the evolution of his groundbreaking food relief organization, World Central Kitchen. I spoke with producer Sarah Bernstein about Ron, Jose, and how they managed to make the growth of a nonprofit organization, which could have been very dry, into a fascinating story. We'd love to hear your pick for this category, starting with maybe the longest long shot up to the most likely winner. I actually think that any one of these five could take it. I think it's going to be pretty tight. You look at something like The Tender Swindler, and it's certainly in a lighter 
in a sense, lacks the gravitas of these others. It's not really dealing with stuff of earth shattering importance. And yet by virtue of being on Netflix, it's probably been seen by more than any of these others. It was a phenomenon on that service. And so, you know, if people are voting, having not watched all the ones that they're supposed to, that could really matter. So my guess is that is probably the least likely. It did, however, end up with five nominations, writing among them, and it's at 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. So that's not a bad showing, even if it is a little lighter than the others. I would say that it's probably Lucy and Desi that would be next out. This is Amy Poehler directing. It's got six nominations, including directing and writing. So that's pretty good showing, 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. But I just kind of wonder how much of an appetite there is in this category for, you know, multiple documentaries about comedy, where you've also got George Carlin, which I think probably stands a better shot. And also it's coming right on the heels of being the Ricardos, the film, which I don't know how much people are today interested in immediately going back for more Lucy and Desi. Sure, some people are, but so that then leaves us with controlling Britney Spears, George Carlin's American Dream, and We Feed People. I think that, again, for similar reasons to the Tinder Swindler, I just don't know if Britney Spears is seen as, this whole subject is seen as possessing the gravitas to win. However, it comes a year after Framing Britney Spears, also from the New York Times Presents, was nominated in this category and didn't win. So I'd feel more confident about predicting this one to win if the first one had won. I just don't see it happening. Also, it's only 70 minutes, which is noticeably slight. But, you know, just to play devil's advocate, Leaving Neverland won here, which was also about celebrity troubles. That was only three years ago. So it could happen, but also disconcerting just one. This is its only nomination. So I'm going to say, I don't see that happening. And in fact, it probably has less of a chance than Lucy and Desi and maybe also the Tinder Swindler. So if I were to go back and revise, I think this might be our our last place finisher. And that leaves us with George Carlin's American Dream from HBO and We Feed People from Disney+. Plus. I could see it going either way. Judd Apatow and his longtime collaborator, Michael Bunfiglio, did George Carlin's American Dream. They won this award four years ago for the Zen Diaries of Gary Shandling. Another look at obviously a late, great comedian. So there is some precedent for this kind of a project winning here. This one dropped almost as recently as can be in May, is at 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, has five total nominations, including directing. So that's a pretty formidable profile. But I would not rule out at all We Feed People, which is the Ron Howard documentary about Jose Andres in terms of not just being a great chef, but also a great philanthropist through his organization, World Central Kitchen. I think that I would predict George Carlin to win here. I believe that's a change for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't posted my final picks yet. We're going to save that to a little closer to the ceremony, but I had been leaning towards We Feed People before because you really can't have a much more socially consequential project. It's got a little of everything. It's got the celebrity profile of some of these others, but it's also got real substance and social relevance and another perfect Rotten Tomatoes score. But I just, I don't know. I think it, for some people, they may assume that it's going to be like taking medicine rather than a George Carlin docu project where you're going to learn something, but you're also going to have a lot of fun. So in this category, Ron Howard's the only one who's won an Oscar for best director. Do you think there's anything about 
the Television Academy voters thinking twice about a director who's already won an Oscar for directing, winning an Emmy, or that's not a factor, or maybe it could even help him or her? It's an interesting question because on the one hand, it probably helps to raise the profile of the project enough to get nominated. You know, they're more likely to watch a Ron Howard documentary than a documentary by somebody who they've never heard of. But I don't know that it would totally tip the scales. And in fact, people know that Amy Poehler, first of all, that she's a primarily a TV person, if you can call it that, and that she's not really been widely recognized for her work on TV. Something like that could make people gravitate towards her. This is, you know, an early directing project for her. Also, it's about TV people and working in TV. So there's an argument for that one as well. It's also hard to deny that HBO has a pretty incredible track record with docs of all sorts, and particularly in this category, more than twice as many wins in this category as any other platform. Netflix has won twice. HBO has won 11 times. Now, HBO has been around a lot longer, but I think there's an association with important docs still with HBO as, as much as Netflix or anyone else. Yeah, HBO is the team to beat. And do you have a personal favorite among this category? Yeah, I thought We Feed People was very powerful and moving. I have to say the Tender Swindler was it's like candy. You know you shouldn't be going for it as much as you may want to, but I was in from the start to the finish. I just want to make a little bit of case here for Tinder Swindler. It's actually a better crafted film than it has to be, right? It has a very sexy topic. When I talked to people, I was at a party last night. That's the doc that people had seen, but it actually is very clever in its use of traditional conventions like the fairy tale, the thriller movie. And it also does an incredible job of integrating social media. A lot of times social media comes into films, it seems like it's been kind of dropped in. It's super integrated. You don't even notice that texts are popping up and posts are popping up. I'm not making a case that it's the best film here. I'm just saying that I think the maybe lightness of its topic in comparison to some of these hides the fact that it's a very well-crafted film. I think you're right. And that's a good point. Again, certainly in terms of the public conversation has penetrated way more than any of these others. Given how large the TV Academy is and that they do tend to be fairly populist in their choices, I guess you can't rule it out. And again, that Netflix factor. Yeah, there's tons of streamers now that people watch, but Netflix had a head start. Everybody watches the most buzzed about stuff on Netflix. I don't know that everybody watched We Feed People or any number of these others. So now on to Outstanding Documentary or Nonfiction Series, 100 Foot Wave, directed by Chris Smith. This six-part series follows big wave surfer Garrett McNamara and his quest for the mythical 100-foot wave at Nazare, Portugal. Ken recently interviewed executive producer Joe Lewis. The Andy Warhol Diaries. We had a chance to ask director Andrew Rossi about how he used archival footage as well as AI to bring the legendary artist back to life. The Beatles get back. Director Peter Jackson and editor Jabez Olson reclaimed the audio and video shot in 1969 for the Beatles' Let It Be. While when I spoke with him, Peter rejected the premises of most of my questions, he did so in the most charming manner. Genius. A Kanye trilogy. Ken had a chance to speak with directors Kudi Simmons and Chikioza back in May about their three-part series, which tracks a young Kanye West on the rise to stardom. We need to talk about Cosby. This four-part series explores Bill Cosby's career and his descent from America's dad to alleged sexual predator. We spoke to Kamau back in February about the personal and creative challenges of directing his first documentary series about such a controversial subject. 
Scott, what do you think about this category? First, let's light a candle for American Masters, which after many years has finally been boxed out of this category. It had been a perennial nominee and winner going back years. I think it missed in 2012, but other than that, it's been here forever. I actually think American Masters is terrific. You could watch any one of those episodes and it's awesome. But this category blew me away this year. Every one of these was well done, powerful, and there were a bunch of others that could have been just as worthy of being included. It's just so tough here to even rank them. I will say that I think because Kanye West is not everyone's cup of tea and I'm not sure they want to commit several hours to being with him. I don't think that's going to win, but I think it was an amazing, you know, hoop dreams like look. It's just incredible that this footage exists, filmed over two decades of his rise from anonymity to some would argue overexposed celebrity. Netflix paid $30 million for this project. And I'm sure it's done very well on their service because he's just such a hot button guy. However, of all the projects in this category, it has the lowest Rotten Tomatoes score, just 82%, which is not terrible, but, and the lowest number of total nominations. This is its only nomination, which is an indication that it probably snuck in as opposed to these others, which had broader support. I would then argue that a project which I loved, the Andy Warhol Diaries is probably the next out. I was not old enough to really appreciate Andy Warhol while he, uh, he, you know, was alive. So I know him as the guy with 15 minutes of fame and soup cans and just the broad outlines, obviously an important figure, but this brought him to life for me. And I thought they did it in a very creative way. Again, was on Netflix, which could actually goose its prospects, graded on a curve a little bit. It also dropped more recently than any of these other nominees back in March and is up for writing and directing, which are pivotal nominations. So I'm not saying it can't happen. I just think that if I had to bet, I would think that would take that one out next. Then I'd go with 100 Foot Wave being out because it began rolling out well over a year ago. And even though it has great reviews, 100%, and it's fascinating stuff, you know, they often go for beautifully shot outdoors projects. I just... I don't think that it can compete with the kind of buzz and craftsmanship of the other two. I think it's going to probably be the runner-up will be, we need to talk about Cosby, where you've got a very interesting and well-reviewed look. This W. Kamau Bell, who's won a bunch of Emmys for his own Shades of America, he's a fascinating guy who talks about how difficult it is, particularly for the Black community, to reconcile with what Cosby did on screen versus what he did in life. Also, shows about criminal activity have done quite well in this category. The winners have included Wild Country, Making a Murderer, The Jinx. Could very easily be we need to talk about Cosby. But my guess is that The Beatles Get Back is your winner. You've got Peter Jackson, another Oscar winner, to continue our theme with Ron Howard, who here has gone into the archives and called down 57 hours of film, 140 hours of audio to show us something that we weren't already intimately familiar with about the most famous band ever, which has been picked apart in books, films, TV, like to learn anything new, let alone over the course of many hours and just be gripped throughout it. I just think between Jackson's name, the Beatles name, the quality of the project, the um, fact that it's got more nominations, five than any other program in this category and that Disney Plus gets stuff seen. I mean, they won this award last year with Secrets of the Whales. I would feel least nervous, though still nervous, about predicting 
the Beatles get back. Yeah, it's a documentary. Almost, it's it almost feels like it's a different order of thing, you know. Yeah, um, it almost feels like it's a, a different plane of experience because it is the Beatles. Those of us who have seen the 1969 Let It Be, it's this real revelation about what really did happen, or at least that's the way Peter Jackson talks about it. Can we talk a little bit about promotion here? Because I think that Kamau Bell has been relentless in promoting We Better Talk About Cosby, and I mean that in a good way. He's just an incredibly smart, analytic, but fluid speaker. You know, he's a performer. He's a professional comedian. Yeah. Peter Jackson, though, really has been very involved in promoting Get Back over the last few weeks ahead of the Emmys. I think he really wants the Emmy on this. He's never won an Emmy. He's right. won Oscars, obviously. So what do you think? What's the importance of promotion out ahead of the Emmys? Yeah, I think it is important. I don't know when you've got whatever it is, 26,000 people or something that are who are voting. You never know for sure whether it's moved the needle or not, but it certainly can't hurt. Peter Jackson, I believe he's done NPR. He's done a little podcast called Awards Chatter, which I happen to like because it happens to be mine. He's done a bunch. And yeah, Kamal Bell's everywhere. He has his own platform as well. I, I will say Netflix has certainly done plenty for the Andy Warhol Diaries, even though Andrew Rossi may not be as much of a household name as the others that we've talked about, they did something at a art gallery in, in LA and invited a lot of people, including everyone from the actual Mr. Chow, who's featured in the docu-series. Kanye's not done that much to promote Genius. He did show up at the first screening, which caused a lot of attention around that, but he's obviously dealing with other problems. And then 100 Foot Wave, I think that Outside of the surfing community, I'm not sure that there's anyone here who would move the needle. So yeah, I think it can only help that Peter Jackson, even from New Zealand, has been willing to beat the pavement and that Kamau Bell has done the same. You know, it's interesting that all of these except 100 Foot Wave are about celebrities. It is, you're right. Is that something that you think is an even stronger trend this year? Looking back at this category I think it's often been the case. You've got The Last Dance a couple of years ago, Michael Jordan, of course. We can go back and I don't know how much of a celebrity Robert Durst was, but the jinx. But the thing is, more than anything, interestingly enough, in recent years, it's been about nature outdoors projects. You've got, think about this, Secrets of the Whales, Our Planet Earth 2, Frozen Planet, The National Parks, Planet Earth. These are all projects that won this award. So it does give me a little pause about not picking 100 foot wave, even though it's not overtly, you know, hey, this is save the planet or something. Still, uh, there seems to be the same way that the Film Academy went for my octopus teacher and any number of others. It's just an interesting pattern I noticed, which has nevertheless not affected my prediction. Maybe it should. All right. Outstanding directing for a documentary or nonfiction program. The Andy Warhol Diaries. The Shadows, Andy and Jed episode, directed by Andrew Rossi. The Beatles Get Back, Part 3, Days 17 to 22, directed by Peter Jackson. George Carlin's American Dream, directed by Judd Apatow and Michael Bonfiglio. Lucy and Desi, directed by Amy Poehler. Stanley Tucci, Searching for Italy, the Venice episode, which is directed by Ian Denier, who I spoke to about the Venice episode, as well as how he met Stanley and some of the innovations that he's brought to the series. And we need to talk about Cosby, part one, directed by W. Kamau Bell. Can you take us through this category from least likely to win, do you think, to most likely to take home the Emmy? The only one of these that was not nominated for either documentary special or documentary series is Stanley Tucci searching for Italy because that was competing in the 
hosted nonfiction series. Look, there's got to be, I think, somewhat of an advantage when your name is widely known, like Amy Poehler, Judd Apatow, Peter Jackson, Kamau Bell, to a degree, Andrew Rossi. So I think just the fact that Stanley Tucci, you know, look, I don't know that people know who Ian Denyer is. Looking back at this category in recent years, the winners have, first of all, numerous times been the Oscar winners of the previous few months. That was the case with American Factory, with Free Solo, with OJ Made in America, and on and on we go. You do have some just very famous people who have won, including Martin Scorsese and Spike Lee for When the Levees Broke. But it doesn't seem like it's every year they're giving it to the biggest name. And by the way, people who were nominated and did not win include Judd Apatow for the Zen Diaries of Gary Shandling, Ken Burns, Ava DuVernay, like plenty of well-known people have also lost to lesser known people, which complicates this. I think just a hunch, the prior season of Stanley Tucci was not nominated in this category. That makes me think that the nomination is probably the win for them. So that would take out them. I think that, again, Andrew Rossi did a great job with Andy Warhol Diaries, but I'm not sure that that can compete with some of the bigger names here or higher profile projects, frankly. I found this choice of Andy and Jed to be a little surprising. I thought the best episode, and I thought it was very, very good, was Andy and John, A Double Life. Oh, yes. That's interesting because I guess that was his preferred submission then probably. But yeah, that leaves us with Peter Jackson, Judd Apatow, and his collaborator, Michael Bonfiglio, Amy Poehler, or Kamau Bell. I could see any of those four happening. I would guess that Peter Jackson will win. I think probably Judd Apatow would be the runner-up. Amy Poehler would be third, and Kamau Bell would be fourth. But again, it's just going to be really tight. I think Peter Jackson benefits from having a big name, but also just people know if there's one thing you know about the Beatles Get Back, it's that this was just a massive undertaking. And Peter Jackson doesn't need this. He's rich beyond measure. He can make theatrical movies with his time. I mean, like, he doesn't need this. It was a passion project, and he did a great job. Same with Judd Apatow with George Carlin's American Dream. But again, if Judd didn't win for Gary Shandling, which was even more of a passion project for him, and he campaigned harder for that, I think I'm a little skeptical that he would win here. So just a hunch that it's Peter Jackson at the end of the day. In some ways, Jackson, as a director of that film, is an interesting choice, right? Because Michael Lindsay Hogg actually directed the shooting of the film. And in a lot of ways, what Jackson's done, and this is in no way to under undervalue what he's done, because I think it's amazing, is archival restoring and editing. Right. And of course, Jabez Olsen is in some ways the co-director of this film. Uh, I said this with all respect to Peter Jackson, because yep. it is a huge editing process, just enormous. And as you say, restoring the quality of the footage and pairing it with the audio, which was apparently not connected. Yeah, I, it's it should be recognized, I think, across the board. It's a huge achievement. And that's the thing is, I think it's just the scale of it is what's going to benefit Peter Jackson. Like these others are great, but how can you say that Lucy and Desi was a comparable undertaking to uh, the Beatles get back? It's going to point out that you've kind of got apples and oranges here in this category because you have people who directed a whole series. They're only nominated for one episode in the series, but they directed a whole series or had a major hand in that whole series versus people who directed a feature and that's it. So George Carlin and Lucy and Desi are features. And then you have four series here and you have to think maybe the achievement of bringing out a whole series somehow may play a big factor in who ultimately wins. And I think it should, it's not unreasonable. And maybe what they need to do is not that they 
are lacking for categories, but it is sort of an apples and oranges thing. And in the same way that to me, it makes no sense that you have once a week talk show hosts competing with people who do late night shows every night. It's apples and oranges. And this has been brought up by numerous voters who I've talked to that I love John Oliver, but how can I give it to John Oliver again for the whatever seventh time or something in a row when he's doing his thing once a week? Imagine how hard it is to put on a good show four or five times a week. It's just a totally different ballgame. We talked a bit about the changes in the voting and how you can't be nominated for an Oscar and Emmy anymore. What do you think about the quality of the overall entrance in the documentary categories this year? We talked a bit about how there's a lot of focus on celebrity. Do we think that's undermining the quality or do you think these are solid entrants? I got to tell you, until we started talking about it, it's not like I was looking at these and saying, wow, these have really been stand out, these categories by the removal of movies or projects that were also theatrical. I think these are pretty solid. Going back for a second to nonfiction special is where you would have had a few theatrical movies. I don't think this is a bad field. I think this is pretty good. And I think it's better for both TV and film to have a bit of a distinction. And certainly better for the TV Academy and the Film Academy to have fewer blurred lines than they had in the past. Because otherwise, there are going to be increasing calls to... I've heard them already. Why are you guys separate? You know, you should be considering merging your academies. Now, there's... A lot of reasons why that doesn't make sense. The memberships are very different. They each have their own histories. But I think it's important to have a distinction as long as possible. And I don't believe that the quality of the nominees has really been compromised. One thing that really strikes me, we live in the age of series. And yeah. these documentary series are, as you commented, are all amazing. All of these are really top-notch, gripping, incredibly well-made series. I think TV and streaming is really doing itself justice with these nominees. I agree. And I just would add that docu-series, have, as you say, have gotten so good that I wonder if we're not approaching a time when documentary or nonfiction series will be elevated from the creative arts one of those evenings to the main ceremony. I mean, many people watch and love these. We've seen the elevation of the limited series category, which was so thin just a few years ago that they had combined it with the TV Movie Academy. And now I believe that on the most recent Emmys, that was the final category presented, you know, where the Queen's Gambit ended up winning. That shows that I think the producers of the Emmys were responsive to the changing nature of TV viewing. And I just think you look at docuseries today, and particularly these nominees, and I think they belong on the main telecast, not to poo-poo the creative arts ceremonies, but nobody's really watching them. I'd vote for that. <laughs> and Scott, I think Mike would join with me in saying, we vote for you as the hardest working person on the awards scene. Thank you so much for joining us. Congratulations for all you're doing, your writing, your podcast. And I hope you can get a night or two of sleep before the Oscars really kick in. Well, thank you guys so much. Thank you for asking me to join you. Great conversation and keep up the great work. 